Have you heard the saying, God works in mysterious ways? Yeah? Right, cool. And I think what that is saying is we need to get our heads around the fact that we aren't meant to actually understand how God works. But instead, there is this little thing called faith, along with a whole book full of accounts and stories that confirm for us that his ways are in fact part of a big master plan. And I know we've mentioned that kind of idea, this master plan, the mission of God, that sees us and our interests at the very heart of all of that, right? And yet, I know this is true for me at times, and it has been in my past, we still feel very trapped by this world at times. So we start taking matters into our own hands, or we try and bring peace into our lives through attaining things or titles and all sorts of other creature comforts. If we find our own sense of comfy, then that seems to be enough, right? We can get along because I'm pretty chill, I'm pretty comfy, I'm, I'm relaxed, things are going okay. Now, I remember getting to a stage in my life where all I wanted was to get a sense of control over my life. It was probably late teen stuff. I thought that was what freedom would look like. And it's just by chance that I'm sitting here knowing what I'm about to talk about. And all this freedom messaging is coming through. This wasn't, this wasn't planned, which I think is amazing. It wasn't. Was it? Well, it was by God, maybe. My parents and my family, even my church community at the time, back in another part of Adelaide, had done their part through my life to establish within me right from wrong and put in boundaries for me to keep me from harm. But at some stage, you have to discover all that for yourself at some point, don't you? All right? So you take matters into your own hands, and that's what I did. You start to push on some boundaries, and at that time, like I said, it was in around my late teen years, I don't think I was actually properly listening to God. I may have thought I knew what that looked like, regardless of how much I knew about God from coming to church, being involved in all sorts of things. But I wasn't really listening to God so much as I was just trying to work out things in my own strength, in my own ways. And just as a little disclaimer, I even wrote in here, that's not recommended, by the way. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do it in your own strength. Like, learn from my experience and probably your own experience as well don't do that rely on God there's a reason why those name tags went around fully rely on God and stuff I didn't get into anything dangerous thankfully praise the Lord but I started taking chances and making decisions for myself to find who I thought me was I took opportunities to go out with mates I was in a couple of bands rocking away and playing shows in all sorts of locations I started going, and this was before I was even 18, I started going to other churches to figure out where I wanted to be or if I even wanted to be there at all. I was like, is this right for me? Oh, let's try here. I'm not sure about that. At times, I was a young boy. I was following friendship groups and girls as well. It's just reality. I honestly didn't know what I wanted at all. I was lost whilst I was in the middle of the adventure God was taking me on, my own journey. But to add to this, I strongly believe I had experienced a moment with God in my life some years earlier at a youth camp, and this is me looking back now and realising that, where God placed a, a strong calling on my life. But from the moments after that experience with God to the time where I actually started listening to the guy, where I actually started listening to God's promises over my life, I was essentially just taking matters into my own hands. 
Now, this is where today, and looking through this story of Sarai and Abram and Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and all of the names that we're going to hear, gets fun. So, in a timeline, there's some name changes. So, you'll hear me say them, but they are the same people. Sarai, or Sarah, wife of Abram, who laughed at God, like Karen said, when God said that a 90-year-old barren woman, who said she couldn't have children, would have a child within the space of a year is a prime example of someone taking matters into their own hands. Ten years have passed now, still no promised child, all after God gave his initial childbearing promise to Abram in Genesis 15, who needed an heir to have any chance of these promises being fulfilled, because you can't really be the father of nations if there's just you. And we see Sarai, or Sarah, take matters into her own hands, right? And look, Abram's a little bit to blame too, definitely. And so enter into the scene the individual at the heart of today's scripture, and that's Hagar. Sarai gives her Egyptian slave girl Hagar to Abram. Follow along because this gets real confusing. Tells Abram to have a child with Hagar, basically taking God's promise to Abram into her own hands. And this all sets off a new series of events between Abram and Sarai, Hagar and her son to come, Ishmael. But also drama between, I know I can see your face getting screwed up, like what's going on here? Between Abram and Sarai, Hagar and her son to come, Ishmael. And then there's drama between Sarah, Abraham, see this is name change because, you know, God loves to give changes of names to pinpoint important moments in people's lives. And Hagar, so now there's drama between all three of them. Only then to later see the promised child to Abraham and Sarah come into the mix of Isaac. So we've got a few names going there. It'll make sense as we go along, I promise. So today follows on from where we last left off last week with what Karen said. And we start looking at verse 8. So I'll get you to bring that up, Ash, in Genesis 21. So from Genesis 21, we're starting at verse 8 and going through to verse 21. All right, here we go. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And he said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought... I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. 
Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Doesn't our God provide? So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up, just as he promised. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. All right. So now firstly, I'm going to do some quick math. In total, it's around 23 years after God makes his promise initially to Abram, now Abraham, that he would have a child with Sarah. And 23 years is not a short amount of time. It's a long amount of time even today. And that's pretty much another whole life of our 12-year-old daughter. So live again, and that's the whole lifetime that we're talking about. It's a long time. So I have to ask the question and get us thinking about, have you ever been promised something and had to wait that long just to see it happen? Have you ever been promised something and had to wait 23 years? No? What would you be willing, would you, I'm saying, actually, would you be willing, let alone able to wait that long for a response from someone? I think half the time some of the people in our lives come and go within 23 years. So to be waiting that long for a promise, I'm not sure. I think in this day and age as well, with everything that changes so quickly, over 23 years, most people would be over any benefit that a promise could bring them if it hasn't happened within, say, two, five, ten, even a year, but probably let alone 23 years' time. A whole lot of life is going to happen in 23 years. And clearly we are not alone in this thinking, as Karen again told us last week. Sarai took matters of God's promise into her own hands and had Abram sleep with her slave girl Hagar to have a child, to see that promise be fulfilled in her own way. Now, I... I don't know why I thought this at the time as well. Imagine if Hagar had had a daughter. Imagine the drama that would have happened in that moment, knowing that it was the son that had to be had. What what would we be doing there? Just try again, try again, try again. But thankfully, a, a son at least happened for the sake of Hagar. So a quick recap on what happened. Like Karen said, in Genesis 15, God promises a blood heir to Abram. Then Sarai gives Hagar to Abram to have a child because she's impatient. That's Genesis 16. And the rest is Genesis 16. Hagar does get pregnant. So now both Sarai and Hagar aren't happy because Sarah sees that Hagar can get pregnant and she's, you know, upset about that. And Hagar's like, why'd you do this to me? Sarah tries to blame Abram for this whole idea and he's like, I'm not having any of that. But Abram then, Abram tells Sarai to deal with the issue she's having with Hagar as Hagar belonged to Sarai. Sarai is jealous And so then she begins to mistreat her slave girl, Hagar. And so Hagar runs away. Okay, that was a quick recap. So I'm putting the brakes on here for a minute because it specifically involves and focuses on one of our key characters, and that's Hagar. Hagar runs away. Hagar is pregnant and decides that the best thing for her in this moment is to run away from her owner into the desert. Does she take any food or water? In this moment, we're not told but I'm thinking she wants to get out of there pretty quick. But the desert is unforgiving, and it's not a good place for a young slave girl, for anyone really, but also someone who happens to be pregnant to be. 
So what we're told next is that the angel of the Lord finds Hagar in the desert near a spring, thankfully she found a spring, and checks on her. Straight away here, we see the compassionate and loving side of God in that there's a genuine sense of care in the questioning of where have you come from and where are you going? Genuine care for someone who sat outside of the true Abrahamic line promised through Sarai. But what we hear next from the angel of the Lord is seemingly opposite to what we might think a loving and compassionate God would instruct. Because the angel of the Lord tells Hagar to return to Sarai, but not only return to her, but to submit to her. This lady who's been mistreating her out of her taking her own, you know, it's a mess. This isn't a mistake, though, because the nature of slave and master in these days is one that can't simply be run away from. And if so, would see even more suffering potentially come to Hagar if her master decided to actually go looking for her and found her without her choosing to come back. So the angel of the Lord, understanding what is at play for Hagar here, knowing the big picture, but also knowing the dangers for pregnant Hagar right there, right now, and understanding that slave girl to master relationship still instructs Hagar to return to Sarai. And when we talk about submitting, when we hear him go and submit to your master, what we see here is the need for Hagar to fall back into that master-slave dynamic, not to go back with any sort of like pent-up anger or anything like that, just to play things cool, basically. Not to bring any extra attention upon herself. And if we look deeper into this, what we find is that that is the exactly the safest option for Hagar in this present moment. God knows that. Hagar may not have felt that at the time, but God knows best. But God, through the angel, doesn't send Hagar back empty. She may have gone back empty-handed. She didn't have anything to take back by herself and her pregnancy. But she was not empty-hearted, and she certainly wasn't empty-minded in when she went back. Because Ishmael, who was to be her son, is given God's promise that he will grow strong and his descendants will be numerous. God had heard Hagar in the desert and instructed her to name her son Ishmael, which is translated as God hears. God hears. So going back to the recap, because I don't even think this is the best part of God's plan yet. End of Genesis 16, Abraham's, Abram sorry, is 86 years old. Genesis 17, lots of stuff happens, obviously, because now Abram is still Abram, but he's now 99 years old. So another 13 years has happened, all part of that 23. And God again promises Abram, he recommits, he rewords that he will be the father of many nations. The promise is put forth again in front of Abram. And to go with that promise, Abram is given a new name, Abraham, which quite literally means father of many or father of nations. So at this point, now we've got Abraham. I can stop trying to flick between Abram and Abraham, which is good. But Sarai still has her name. So Abraham, Sarai, Hagar and Ishmael are all playing happy families again, sort of, but probably not really. But two promises are in effect. One to Hagar, that her son Ishmael will grow strong and have many descendants. And number two, Abraham is reassured of God's promise to see him become the father of many, the father of nations, 
marked by a covenant relationship with God, instructed to live a certain way. So there's two promises happening now. All right. So now Genesis 17, verse 15, Sarai is now Sarah. Hooray, we've got Abraham and Sarah now. I don't have to flip between. Abraham promised a blood heir, a son through Sarah, and this is what Karen talked about last week. In Genesis 17, verse 17, Abraham laughs at this idea. So we see that first moment even with Abraham of his disbelief because it's been a long time. What's happening, Lord? God's response, name your son Isaac, which means he laughs. So I love God's sense of humor there. Abraham's now 100. Sarah is now 90. Abraham, in his disbelief, asks for blessing upon Ishmael because I think he's still thinking, when is this promised child of mine coming? Which God confirms. So he gives a blessing to Ishmael, God does, but assures the birth of Isaac unto Sarah as well. And so when we skip ahead to Genesis 18 verse 12, Sarah now laughs. So she has this moment of disbelief and like, you can't be serious or maybe could it be true? At the promise of God that she will have a child within the year. So then some other things happen before we get to Genesis 21 verses 1 to 7. And this is where Karen left off last week. Where we're told of the birth of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham. Hooray, they've had their child promised by God. God's promise in God's timing is made complete. So now we're at Genesis 21, verse 8. The current situation is Isaac, who is Sarah and Abraham's son, has come of age of sorts. It says in verse 8 that Isaac has grown and been weaned, and apparently that means it's party time. They're going to have a feast. We don't hear of any such party for Ishmael, but we're probably not likely to, given Abraham's quite a key character. The weaning of a child in biblical times is a significant milestone that represents the transition from infancy to childhood. And they grow up quite quick back in those days. It signifies the end of the child's exclusive dependence on the mother and the beginning of a new phase of life. So there's a sense of independence to their life coming in now. So at this feast or party or birthday celebration, however we want to imagine it, this weaning party, whatever it is, The two children of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, are seen together. They're brothers. The verses we read today said that Ishmael, the older of the two, was mocking Isaac. And if we know anything about child's play, this mocking that sounds bad as you read it, like it could be teasing or bullying, could in fact have been harmless. Because in preparation for today, and I was looking at a few things, sometimes you love to grab a word and really look and drill down into it. I looked across different translations of the Bible and when looking into this scene, I found that the word mocking could have very easily just meant playing. In fact, the Greek word this all comes from and stems from, which I'm going to say it wrong, but metzachek. Let's go with that, metzachek. I said it perfectly. Thank you. Which ironically has the same root, like the construct, like words have meanings and how they're made up, right? It's the same root as the name Isaac, which means he laughs. So Metzachek, which was also the meaning given behind the word Isaac, have the same root to this idea of he laughs. Confirms that the word mock that we read in some translations or play or even laugh may have been all that the boys were doing together. 
But as we know, Sarah and Hagar have beef with each other. They're not so keen on each other. Whilst in the verses, there's nothing linked to anything Sarah saw as being evil or wicked or harmful between the boys, there is all this history that we recapped. And if we know anything about history, is that history can play a big part in how we see situations and people, can't it? Like I could name a number of things historically and we would definitely get a response from ourselves, wouldn't we? Just mentioning different wars and all sorts of things. We would have a response. History means something. So regardless of the fact that Ishmael could have, simp- could have been mocking or just as easily could have just been joyously celebrating his younger brother's coming of age party, the mind is a powerful thing and Sarah is not happy with what is going on. She doesn't want no bonding happening. Honestly, if the boys were simply just getting along, I think Sarah would have still had a massive issue with that. So we see next that Sarah, yet again, has had enough of her Egyptian slave woman Hagar and now her son Ishmael as well, knowing that he also holds the birthright to Abraham's inheritance as well. And so she instructs Abraham to yet again get rid of her. It's deja vu all over again. The same situation. Sarah's not happy. Get rid of the slave girl and her son. Because if in Sarah's head, there's no way her slave girl's son that she teed up to give Abraham a child in the first place is now going to take the inheritance that would have been for her child if she had just listened, believed and waited on God's timing to be fulfilled in his time. And so in verse 11 for today in Genesis 21, Abraham, the father of both children, we actually see is actually torn up a little bit by this whole thing. He's distressed. And I see this as what a way to have a party go from being absolute fun, where these boys could have simply just been playing and getting along, to now go to absolute garbage by demanding your husband to kick out one of his sons. Get rid of him. Off off with him. Doesn't seem very nice. So God, the ever-coming voice throughout this whole drama series, and I can actually see this as, you could make this into a mini TV series with the amounts of twists and turns and things that go on with this sort of thing. It's like a bold and the beautiful at the moment. Speaks to Abraham. And in verse 12, it says, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. And in the next breath, Abraham is told to listen to Sarah. And I sit back and go, come on, God which we could assume sounds like both a reasonable request, but also quite a cold request by God to let Hagar and Ishmael go. It's like you won't save them from what you're about to kick them out into. What are you at? What's happening here? It's reasonable because as us men know, and I say this in jest, I promise to all the ladies here, happy wife, happy life, right? Yeah? But I think, you know, it goes both ways. You should treat each other well. But unreasonable because is God really saying it is cool to kick out his own son and his slave woman back out into the desert? Is that what he is saying? And it can be hard to rationalize if we don't understand why this is a good thing and we, as we can only see it for our own eyes at times. But through Sarah's choice to take matters into her own hands, we eventually see the grand plan for Hagar lived out. Hagar was a slave. But through God's work, she is now given official freedom from her masters. 
God at the right time for Hagar, God at the right time for Hagar, broke down the things that bound her and held her back. So Abraham, through God's instruction, in God's perfect timing, severs the tie to slavery and also gives Hagar food and water and sends them on their way. In her newfound freedom, she is venturing back into the desert that God saved her from before. However, now she is alongside her roughly 18-year-old son. Hagar has freedom along with the support of her son. God, who at one stage sent Hagar back to safety amidst all the chaos that that would bring, did that for Hagar and found a time that was more fitting when Ishmael was with her and able to support her in her freedom that came through God. God affirming Sarah's desire to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael does not mean that he agreed with Sarah's actions. We all have this thing called free will to make good and bad decisions, and God honours that. But God understands every situation very differently to us. For God's promise to come true for Isaac and for God's promise to come true for Ishmael, separation was necessary. Freedom that comes through God is the only freedom that we need. And we will start to unlock what God truly wants for us and discover he that truly unbinds us from trying to obtain anything like unnecessary treasures or titles in our own life. There are more important things that God has planned for each and every one of us than what we think we might need by taking things into our own hands. Sarah most likely had a range of emotions around being barren, not being able to provide a child for Abraham. Then to have a child and know that her own mistakes held her son back from receiving the full inheritance and the birthrights, the treasures and the titles, he would have received if Abraham and Sarah had looked past their disbelief and waited on God's timing. That, that would have been a lot. But the biggest story in this is that God works in and through all that we put in the way. So even when we or others try to impact our stories or we even try and impact our own, we go off and try and discover everything without God's beside us. Or even if we just try to, the plans that God has for each and every one of us and the promises that he is in place for us can never be interrupted. They might just take a bit of a different path to get there. And here's my last little bit of assurance for us each today. Hagar and Ishmael, two of our key characters for today, are actually kind of a side story to this whole thing. Ishmael may have never existed if Sarah and Abraham had listened to God and waited on his timing. We may never have even heard about Hagar, the slave woman. We may never have had Ishmael at all. And Hagar, in this, one, Ishmael may never have existed. Hagar may have never been mentioned if it just waited on God. But this Egyptian slave girl in this story, this Egyptian slave girl and her son found themselves deep in the middle of a story that gives us hope, each and every one of us, that God is present in the lives of the side story. We often hear the Israelites called the chosen people of God. Have you heard that before? Israelites, the chosen people of God. But when we look at Scripture, 
God's attention to all is very, very clear. The difference in this story and the promises to Isaac and Ishmael is essentially the type of calling that's placed on their lives. The promises from God are very similar, that they would grow strong and they would have numerous numbers come from their their line, their lineage. But their type of calling is a bit different, and this is how it ties in the world, all of us. For believers, we resonate with a chosen way of life that resembles covenant with God. Relationship with God that the Isaac line fulfills through Christ and the opening of a relationship that he brought about. And when we look at the Ishmael line, we see a promise that God is for all. And whether we have chosen to be in relationship with God yet or not, his promise to look after the world includes absolutely everybody. This is a gospel story. Right at the start when we relate gospels to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is, in fact, a gospel story as well. It is good news. That's what gospel, gospel is. It's good news all the way back in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, that true freedom is found in the plans of God for your life. And the message that comes through Hagar and Ishmael is that God considers all. No one is separate from that promise. And so in a moment, as we consider what that means for ourselves this morning... There's going to be a song that plays. And some of the words say, my life is a prodigal story. And when we think of a prodigal, I feel like that, that's reminiscent for me when I shared about some of my story in the days where we kind of leave home and think of our best way and try and find and discover ourselves and that and kind of go away from maybe from the closeness with God. But then there is that celebrated return when we come home to him. Saved out of the enemy's plans for me. There's two sides to this story. But I'm home in the house of God. My life is a rescue story. And I have freedom. Thank you, Jesus, I am free. No more chains on me. Now in Christ I live. Thank you, Jesus, I am free. And I just pray that that is is where our heart sits today. And if we're not, not sure, and we're not sure where to take that for our own lives, it's nothing more than just a simple conversation to, to say prayer is just a conversation, isn't it? It's like talking to another person, but it's just talking to our God. Taking the time to say, Lord, I'm probably doing things in my own way more often than actually starting the day off with you or listening to you, recommitting to that. Or maybe it's a matter of committing for the first time. I don't know where everyone is at. But when we read the words saying, no more chains on me, now in Christ I live, that is so true. Christ came for each and every one of us to provide that freedom story. That idea of being able to come home and have that assurance with us, Christ who walks alongside of us. So as we listen to the words, I just pray that you would take this time to just consider where you're at and where Christ is at with you in your life. And always, Karen and I are always available to pray with you. And also just have a conversation if you wanted to at any time around these things.